Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Shemot, the light at the heart of darkness. She's one of the most unexpected heroes of the Hebrew Bible. Without her, Moses might not have lived. The whole story of the Exodus would have been different. Yet she was not an Israelite. She had nothing to gain and everything to lose by her courage. Yet she seems to have had no doubt, experienced no misgivings, made no hesitation. If it was Pharaoh who afflicted the children of Israel, it was another member of his own family who saved the decisive vestige of hope, Pharaoh's daughter. Remember the context. Pharaoh had decreed death for every male Israelite child. Yocheved, Amram's wife, had a baby boy. For three months, she was able to conceal his existence, but no longer. Fearing his certain death if she kept him, she set him afloat on the Nile in a basket, hoping against hope that someone might see him and take pity on him. This is what follows. Pharaoh's daughter went to bathe in the Nile while her maids walked along the Nile's edge. She saw the box in the reeds and sent her slave girl to fetch it. Opening it, she saw the boy. The child began to cry. She had pity on it. This is one of the Hebrew boys, she said. Note the sequence. First she sees that it's a child and has pity on it. A natural, human, compassionate reaction. Only then does it dawn on her who the child must be. Who else would abandon a child? She remembers her father's decree against the Hebrews. Instantly the situation has changed. To save the baby would mean disobeying the royal command. That would be serious enough for an ordinary Egyptian, doubly so for a member of the royal family. Nor was she alone when the event happened. Her maids were with her. A slave girl was standing beside her. She had to face the risk that one of them, in a fit of pique or even mere gossip, would tell somebody about it. Rumours flourish in royal courts, yet she does not shift her ground. She does not tell one of her servants to take the baby and hide it with a family far away. She has the courage of her compassion. She doesn't flinch. And now something extraordinary happens. The child's sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Go, replied Pharaoh's daughter. The young girl went and got the child's own mother. Take this child and nurse it, said Pharaoh's daughter. I'll pay you a fee. The woman took the child and nursed it. The simplicity with which this is narrated conceals the astonishing nature of this encounter. First, how does a child... Not just a child, but a member of a persecuted people have the audacity to address a princess. There's no elaborate preamble, no your royal highness or any other formality of the kind that we're familiar with elsewhere in biblical narrative. The two women seem to speak as equals. Equally pointed are the words left unsaid. You know, and I know, Moses' sister implies, who this child is. It's my baby brother. 
She proposes a plan brilliant in its simplicity. If the real mother is able to keep the child in her home to nurse him, we both minimise the danger. You won't have to explain to the court how this child suddenly appeared. We will be spared the risk of bringing him up. We can say the child isn't a Hebrew, that the mother is not the mother but only a nurse. Miriam's ingenuity is matched by Pharaoh's daughter's instant agreement. She knows. She understands. She gives her consent. Then comes the final surprise. When the child matured, his mother brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted him as her own son and named him Moses, saying, I bore him from the water. Pharaoh's daughter didn't simply have a moment's compassion. She hadn't forgotten the child, nor had the passage of time diminished her sense of responsibility. Not only does she remain committed to his welfare, she adopts the riskiest of strategies. She will adopt him and bring him up as her own son. This is courage of a high order. Yet the single most surprising detail comes in the last sentence. In the Torah, it's parents who give the child its name. And in the case of a special individual, God himself. It's God who gave the name Isaac to the first Jewish child. God's angel who gave Jacob the name Israel. God who changed the names of Avram and Sarai to Avraham and Sarah. We've already encountered one adoptive name, Tzafnat Paneach, which is the name by which Joseph was known in Egypt. Yet Joseph remains Joseph. How surpassingly strange that the hero of the Exodus, greatest of all the prophets, should bear not the name Amram and Yocheved would have undoubtedly used thus far, but the one given to him by his adopted mother, an Egyptian princess. A midrash draws attention to the fact this is the reward for those who do kindness. Although Moses had many names, the only one by which he is known in the whole Torah is the one given to him by the daughter of Pharaoh. Even the Holy One, blessed be he, did not call him by any other name. Indeed, Moshe, Masiz, is an Egyptian name meaning child, as in Ramses, which means child of Ra. Ra was the greatest Ra or Re was the greatest of the Egyptian gods. So who then was Pharaoh's daughter? Nowhere is she explicitly named. However, the first book of Chronicles mentions a daughter of Pharaoh named Bitya, and it was she the sages identified as the woman who saved Moses. The name Bitya, or sometimes rendered as Batya, means the daughter of God. From this, the sages drew one of their most striking lessons. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to her, Moses wasn't your son, yet you called him your son. You are not my daughter, but I shall call you my daughter, Bitya, Batya, God's daughter. They added that she was one of the few people who were so righteous that they entered paradise in their lifetime. Instead of Pharaoh's daughter, read Hitler's daughter or Stalin's daughter. And we see what's at stake. Tyranny cannot destroy humanity. Moral courage can sometimes be found in the heart of darkness. That the Torah itself tells the story the way it does has enormous implications. It means that when it comes to people, we must never generalize, never stereotype. The Egyptians were not all evil. Even from Pharaoh himself, 
a heroine was born. Nothing could signal more powerfully that the Torah isn't an ethnocentric text, that we must recognize virtue wherever we find it, even among our enemies, and that the basic core of human values, humanity, compassion, courage, is truly universal. Holiness may not be, but goodness is. Outside Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem is an avenue dedicated to righteous Gentiles. Pharaoh's daughter is a supreme symbol of what they did and what they were. I, for one, am profoundly moved by that encounter on the banks of the Nile between an Egyptian princess and a young Israelite child, Moses' sister Miriam. The contrast between them in terms of age, culture, status and power could not be greater. Yet their deep humanity bridged all the differences, all the distance. Two heroines. May they inspire us. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org/cc family edition. Thank you.